0: what's up everybody you're listening to the 10 after 7 podcast on youtube with your host michael cody stevenson we're 40 episodes old today so shout out to one of the great number 40s in sports history a chicago bears legend an nfl hall of famer number 40 gail sayers Just recently passed away earlier this month, and by all accounts, by all his peers who played with or against him, the greatest running back to ever do it. I mean, he was Superman on a football field. I looked up some games that he had. 1965 as a rookie in a rainy, muddy day at Wrigley Field, he scored six touchdowns, still tied for an NFL record. His career didn't last long. He had a couple of knee injuries. His career was cut short, but at age 34, his peers looked around and said, yeah, Of course he's an NFL Hall of Famer. So he's the youngest player to ever get inducted into the Hall of Fame at age 34. Legend. Shout out to Gil Sayers. And then a number 40, I can't have a 40th episode without announcing or giving respect to one of my favorite number 40s. If you played Madden, if you played Rushing Attack, you know you had to have a fullback to blow up a linebacker. This guy's in the neck brace Hall of Fame. Probably should be in the Football Hall of Fame. One of the greatest linebackers ever, Mike Allstock. But here, let's get into the podcast. The last time I was on this podcast, I talked about the Lakers being one game away from winning their 17th NBA championship. They waited a little bit. They waited till last Sunday night to finally blow the Miami Heat out of the building, kick them out of the bubble, throw them out the club. They annihilate Miami in game six, and from the start, from the very first tip, they said, Jimmy Butler, you might have had a good game five, but tonight, it ain't happening. We're going to W every chance we get. We're making every shot we take, and here's a couple of guys that you have to shout out with this Lakers championship run. KCP played out of this world, and I think at the beginning of this season, I think the last couple years, a lot of people had some negative things to say about KCP, and Laker fans, I'm one of them but there's some bad laker fans out there i mean the danny green information that came out that was bad death threats and stuff let's not do that but let's shout out the ones who had some great 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 times in this playoffs kcp's one of them laker fans will always remember that guy for knocking them down in the nba finals and then here's this guy What about the guy that we absolutely hated when he was a part of the Boston Celtics organization, Rajon Rondo? I mean, I despised this guy. I probably uttered some very bad words about the point guard who played on a super team who couldn't shoot the ball, who was just a part of a really good basketball team, but I could care less about him. There were even rumors that he grew out his fingernails to defend dudes and scratch the shit out of them. Mirage well, on Rondo, when he put on that Laker uniform playoff, Rondo, of course, appeared again. And when a Los Angeles Lakers jersey's put on you, you all of a sudden start knocking down shots because he shot 40% from three-point land throughout the playoffs. And man, he was something else. You put his IQ on the basketball court and you combine that with LeBron James's IQ, which is probably his greatest attribute, You got you got guys that are going to pick you apart all over the floor. And then Anthony Davis. The Lakers traded the house for him. Some fans didn't want Brandon Ingram in the trade. No, we can't do that. But the smart ones said, nope, Anthony Davis is worth it. Top five player in the game. Him and LeBron James combined. That's the reason why the Los Angeles Lakers won their 17th NBA championship. And I loved every minute of it. Dwight Howard even. What about Dwight with 40 seconds left pulling up from the logo and hitting a three? That's a dagger that I don't think anybody wanted to see. I'm not sure I still am a Dwight Howard fan, but it's kind of crazy that he came full circle and won a championship, his first. JaVale McGee. I don't know if he played a minute in the NBA Finals, but he's got three titles now. And LeBron James, of course, his fourth NBA championship. At the end, he was interviewed, and I loved every second of it. Of course, he knows what it's like. He knows exactly what to do when a microphone's in his face. He thanked his teammates. He said, put some respect on the GM's name. Put some respect on the owner's name. Put some respect on the Lakers organization. And give me my damn respect too. And he's talking to a whole lot of different people when he says that. In my group chat the next day, the discussion after LeBron James won his fourth title was, why would LeBron say that? Who's LeBron talking to? How much more respect does LeBron want? He's in the discussion with Michael Jordan as the greatest of all time. And I said, this is my point. He's the most criticized athlete of all time. Because one day after he wins a championship, you guys are critiquing the words he said at the end of it. Not the fact that he mentioned his teammates first about how everyone else needed respect and then him too. You guys are actually discussing what... This guy said, instead of what he did in the bubble and throughout this playoff run, winning his fourth NBA Finals MVP, most criticized athlete of all time, no one even comes close. And I don't want to get into the tired Michael Jordan first LeBron James goat debate, but here's where my stump card comes out. I've always said this is a generational debate. People that grew up with Michael Jordan, they're never going to let it go. We, if you're my age, we grew up with LeBron James and we should never let that go. I haven't seen a better basketball player than LeBron James. You might be a Kobe fan, but if you're a competent basketball fan, you are saying LeBron James is the best basketball player you have ever seen. All around. And Michael Jordan fans don't want to give that up. So be it. But here's the stump card if you're defending LeBron James today. Think about it. 16 years old, ESPN sends their crew to Akron, Ohio to cover a high school basketball game. Sports Illustrated writes a cover story about this kid from Akron, Ohio possibly being the next great basketball player. He's only 16. So now think about what you were doing at 16. Think about if someone deemed you the next great thing in whatever industry you're in and you had to live up to that hype. And then from 16 years old all the way until now at 36 when he wins his fourth NBA championship and he's in the same discussion with Michael fucking Jordan. Everyone deemed him as the next great basketball player and he's in the discussion with Michael Jordan. That right there, if you're a LeBron fan, should end the debate. It should end it. Try doing that to any other 16-year-old and see if they succeed. And LeBron James has absolutely lived up to the hype, lived up to the billing, and exceeded expectations. And if Anthony Davis signs up with the Lakers for the next decade, LeBron James will probably win a fifth. And then when he gets to 6, he'll be on the same level as Michael Jordan. And then people will still say Michael Jordan went 6-0 and in the NBA Finals. He was perfect, never lost. And LeBron James fans are going to say, yeah. But LeBron played in 13 NBA championships through 20 years and won 6 of them. Did Michael Jordan get to 13 titles? No, he didn't. When it's all said and done, LeBron will have the greatest resume and I will still talk about how he was 16 deemed as the next great basketball player. And he will end up as the greatest basketball player of all time. And that's absolutely batshit crazy. That's what I have to say about that. And I want to say one more thing. 17th championship for the Los Angeles Lakers. We celebrated it at my friend Bucky Benton's house. You can see on YouTube, I got a fat bruise on my arm. Bucky squeezed me a little bit too hard. But that's a championship bruise that I'm rocking and I'm fired up. We took out the Bud Light, started spraying each other, jumped in the jacuzzi. It was good old times. I loved every minute with, minute of it. And yes, that is the 17th championship in the Lakers franchise. And Bill Simmons, I love listen. I love listening to Bill Simmons podcast cuz he sounds so bitter. He's trying to discredit 17 NBA championships saying, oh, they won five in Minneapolis. Am I crazy to say this is only their 12th? Yes, you're fucking crazy. And you're a Boston Celtics fan that is just upset? And keep trying to discredit the greatest sports franchise in the history of sport. Keep trying to discredit Genie Buss for winning a championship. The last decade has been rough for the Lakers. Yeah, they made some bad decisions. But you know what? They're still the Lakers... And those bad decisions, they could live with. They might have had draft picks that you think might have whiffed. But at the end of the day, those draft picks turned into Anthony Davis and turned into a 17th NBA championship. The Lakers could afford to have a few bad years. And as a Laker fan, that decade sucked. I mean, Robert Sacre was at Patrick Malloy's, and I wanted a picture because he was the starting center for the Lakers. Ryan Kelly was starting at power forward. Jody Meeks was a big signing. Mitch Kupchak threw the bag at Luol Deng and Timothy Mozgov. And we tried to convince ourselves the next year was the big year for the Lakers. And it wasn't, but those 10 years made this one that much sweeter. And the Laker franchise is so damn good, That they could live with a few bad mistakes and turn that shit into Anthony Davis because it's title town, it's Los Angeles, and LeBron James absolutely wanted to come play. So keep trying to discredit the Lakers franchise. Number 17, and let's make it 18 next year to pass those Boston Celtics fans and their shitty fans. That's all I have to say on the Lakers title. But now let's get into a more tough subject for me to talk about. I know I've come on the last couple of weeks and talked about how great it is that the Los Angeles Dodgers and Lakers are having playoff games on the same night. And I regret saying that because it ain't fun. The Lakers won a title and it lasted for two days. The celebration literally lasted for two days. Excuse me, just burped. But that's what I could do on this podcast. I could let out a burp here and there. But then playing playoff games on the same days, please let's go back to the NBA next year playing their championship in June. Because they cannot play in October when I'm trying to focus on a Dodger playoff game and the Dodgers lose, and I'm already upset two days after the Los Angeles Lakers win an NBA championship. That's what happened. The Dodgers started their run In the NLCS, their series with the Atlanta Braves dropped game one. Walker Buehler threw. It was a 1-1 game in the ninth inning. Dodgers bullpen comes out and blows the fucking game. But then again, you look at their offense and say, how do they score one run? Max Fried, Atlanta Braves left-handed pitcher, pitched a great game. He's filthy. Great curveball. He was actually fun to watch and frustrating at the same damn time because the Dodgers are my favorite team, and I, I feel like they can't hit a lick in October you got to score more than one run. Walker Buehler's on the mound. You have to score more than one run. But you could chalk that one up, so I guess the bullpen blew it in the ninth. Braves take a 1-0 lead. And then game two, we wake up in the morning, find out Clayton Kershaw scratched with back spasms. It's unfortunate. I had the day off of work. I was ready to dial into a Clayton Kershaw playoff game because I will die on the Clayton Kershaw Hill. He's my favorite athlete of all time. So in game two, Tony Gonsolin fills in. The game 0-0 early on. And then in the fifth inning, the Atlanta Braves explode. They actually go up 7-0 at one point. And I kind of walked away. I walked away from the TV. I said, I'm done. Me and my brother were discussing. My brother's like, holy shit. Every October. Like maybe we just have to admit we're fucking shit in October. We can't do it in October and i just kind of ignored it i'm not, I'm not gonna admit that no it's just a bad game we're down seven and then the dodgers start to climb back a little bit in the late innings in the bottom of the ninth they were actually eight to seven the bats woke up it was an eight seven game atlanta leads mark melanson's on the mound they're closer a runners on third aj pollock's at the plate two outs and for the first time in that game i was watching jumped up excited and then it hurt even more. When the final out was made by the Atlanta Braves, Dodgers go down 0-2. That one hurt. I so much... I know it's a debate sometimes. Would you rather get blown out or lose in late innings? Please. Take me out of my misery and get blown out. Because even that game, down 7 nothing, me going away, playing with my nephew Cash, playing with Slime, which is a nasty thing. Not a big Slime fan. But going away and staying away from the game, down 7 nothing, and then coming back having a little bit, a glimmer of hope, getting up for it, and then boom, shot right back down. Braves win 8-7, go up 2-0. And then the next night, Julio Urias is scheduled to pitch game three. He's been great this postseason for the Dodgers, so I'm fired up. Down 2-0, we still got a shot. And the Dodgers offense, that offense I've been talking about, that high-powered offense, one of the best in the game, they exploded for 11 runs in the first inning, the most in postseason history. Muncy hit a grand slam. The first play in the game, or er, Mookie Betts beats out an infield single. The floodgates open. 11 runs in the first inning. You're like, holy shit, no stress in this game. Dodgers will probably hold on to this one, hopefully. They do. They win 15-3. Urias goes a strong five innings. Saves the bullpen a little bit. And then game four, Braves still 2-1 series advantage. Clayton Kershaw scheduled the pitch. I'm fired up. And Edwin Rios, a few innings into the game. Boom, gone. One of the prettiest swings. He's a home run hitter. He's a masher. Gives the Dodgers an early 1-0 lead. Marcelo Zuna gets a piece of Clayton Kershaw a couple innings later. The game's all of a sudden tied 1-1. But Kershaw has gotten a few good double plays in this game. He's escaped a couple of runners on early. But it's one-to-one. It's headed to the sixth inning network. I turned to the TV and I said, holy shit. The top of the order's coming up for the Braves. This can't be good. Third third time around against Clayton Kershaw, this can't be good. If you're a Dodger fan, you expect it. If you're Dave Roberts, you should have the same feelings. You should know that the Atlanta Braves' top of the order's coming up. Yes, Clayton Kershaw has pitched well enough through five innings. It's a 1-1 game, but know that his numbers aren't great when the team comes around for a third time. And six-plus innings, Clayton Kershaw is, hasn't been good either in the postseason. We all know that. But instead, Dave Roberts sends Clayton Kershaw out there. Acuna hits a dribbler. Kike Hernandez makes a throw, gets away from Max Muncy, goes out of play. All of a sudden, Acuna leads off the he's on second base. No outs. Then Freddie Freeman, lefty on lefty, comes up. And yes, I guess you could make, let him face Freddie Freeman. But Freddie Freeman scares the living hell out of me. And I knew that was going to happen because he's probably going to win NL MVP. And he hits the shit out of the baseball. So Kershaw goes up on him 0-2. A couple pitches later, Freddie Freeman doubles. It's all of a sudden 2-1 Braves. And Clayton Kershaw is still on the mound. Dave Roberts doesn't want to take the ball from Clayton Kershaw. And as a manager, it's all about feel. You have to know your guys, know the numbers, and get them out when they need to get out of the game. And I think Dave Roberts is so loyal to Clayton Kershaw. I'm loyal too to Clayton Kershaw, but you're the manager of the baseball team. You have to take the ball from Kershaw. I don't care if Clayton Kershaw won't talk to you for the next three days. I don't care if he's mad at you, Dave. You're the manager. Take the ball from him. Get him out of the game. Azuda already took him yard. It's two-one. You're still in the ball game. Take him out. But he doesn't. He left Clayton in, just like last year. Was so confident, so loyal to Kershaw. Sent him out for a seventh inning that he gave back-to-back home runs on. Another run scores for Atlanta. It's three-to-one. Brings in the bullpen. Brewster. And Brewster gives up three more runs, and it's all of a sudden seven-to-one Braves. And Dodger fans, the air's out of the balloon. It's all happening once again. And Clayton Kershaw is going to get the blame. And I will die on the hill. I will always defend Kershaw. I'm never going to pivot on Kershaw. You will not hear me pivot on Kershaw. Are his numbers bad in the postseason? Yes. They are. He's got the worst ERA minimum of 100 innings thrown in postseason history. At MLB history. But Dave Roberts has to know the numbers and get him out of the game. If Kershaw goes five innings, and I know he probably always, every pitcher in baseball history always wants to go seven strong. And he'll probably be mad if you say, hey, Kershaw, you did great for five innings. Top of the order's coming up for them. Third time around, numbers don't look so great. We're going to take you out. We're going to try to keep us in the game. We're going to go to our bullpen if the bullpen blows it. Oh, well, that's on me. But instead, Dave left Kershaw out there. And the rest is history. Dodgers go down 3-1 to one in this series. But I'm on record. I will die on Clayton Kershaw's hill. I'm going to die on him. But Dave's got to get him out of there. And I think hot seat is very hot right now. That's what I'll say about that. the Dodgers down three one, and i'm never going to I'm never going to pivot on the Dodgers. You know me, I mean, I always say it's a seven game series for a reason. The Braves have to win four out of seven. It's three to one right now. Dustin may's going tonight. I'm confident in Dustin may. He should be one of the top three guys in this rotation. He shouldn't be an opener. he should probably go six or seven strong every single time and let him go tonight. Let him be the horse that he is. And Dustin May will match up whoever the Braves throw. And by the way, in that game four, the Braves threw a guy named Bryce Wilson, pitched a hell of a game. I'm sour. The Dodgers will always, always, if you're a Dodger fan, they will make young pitchers or no-name pitchers that we have never heard of before that game look like Cy Young candidates. And that's what they did with the rookie last night, Bryce Wilson. But whoever the Braves throw tonight, Dustin May should have the upper hand. And if the Dodgers win tonight, it's 3-2. You got Walker Bueller in game six. We know he's a dog. He's pitched in so many big games already throughout his young career. And then in game seven, that's when you let your nuts hang low. That's where legends are made. And the Dodgers were the best team in baseball all year. So a 3-1 series deficit, it ain't fucking over. You'll always hear me say that. Dodger fans, wherever you are out there, never say it's over. Never. No, there's no clock in baseball. You got 27 outs to play with and we better play those 27 outs like they're the last outs of our goddamn lives. I was watching Tommy Lasorda motivational videos last night and he said he better see a championship team before he dies. He said, wherever you've played before, They say you've made it to the big leagues, but when you put on a Dodger uniform, you're in the major leagues. Let's go. It ain't over. This team's too fucking good to go home down 3-1. So I'm going to talk about some NFL games. I think last week I actually went 3-0. I know I had the Miami Dolphins who blew the San Francisco 49ers out of the water. I forgot who else I had. But I know I did pretty good last week in picks. But I'm going to look up some lines today and give you three more picks. I don't know how I want to do. It feels like every morning I wake up to an ESPN notification saying this team or that team's facility shut down. We're going to probably find out a lot more because we got two Monday nights again. We didn't have Thursday night tonight. The NFL is all over the place. And I will say this. If you win a championship in fantasy football this year, that championship will be the hardest anyone's ever won before. With the maneuverity of the maneuvering maneuver Jesus. I don't even know the word. What am I trying to say? Maneuvering? Jesus. You know what I mean. You trying to switch out and switch dudes in. If you don't know who has COVID, who doesn't have COVID, it's gonna be the hardest championship you ever won. And yes, you can make fun of me for not knowing how to pronounce that word. I just... Too much coffee this morning. So here we go. Three NFL games I'm going to pick. Atlanta Falcons. That's right. I picked the Houston Texans last week because I knew they were coming off of a game. Or a uh, firing of a head coach. So you know what? Oh, I don't even know. Falcons are plus four going into Minnesota. Minnesota's been tough the last couple of weeks. They almost pulled off the upset against Seattle last weekend. Falcons plus four after the firing of Dan Quinn, you know what? I feel good about it. Atlanta Falcons, plus four. Dan Quinn's fired. They got an interim head coach. That's going to do it for them. Put Atlanta in your parlay, plus four against the Minnesota Vikings. Moving on. That's my first game. I got to remember these. I got to write them down. You know what? Let's write these down. Falcons, plus four against Minnesota. Uh, let's see. What other games can I pick? You got Cincy plus eight going to Indianapolis. I don't know about that one. Indianapolis Colts are probably the toughest team to watch at this point. Phillip Rivers is so damn boring. That team, please, I said it last week, give T.Y. Hilton the ball. But they haven't done it. New York Jets plus nine and a half going into Miami minus nine and a half for the Dolphins. The Jets have a chance to go 0-16 at this point. And they'll be the third time in NFL history to do it. And I don't think there's any question. I don't even think they have a discussion whether or not to keep Darnold and not draft Trevor Lawrence. I think if they have the number one pick, Trevor Lawrence is going to the New York Jets. Absolutely. But you know what? I'm going to ride Fitzpatrick because he's been electric, as always, early on in the season. Dolphins minus nine and a half at home against the terrible, awful New York Jets. That's number two. Number three, big game, Fox game of the week. You have the Green Bay Packers going into Tampa Bay. I think Green Bay's legit. I think Tampa Bay struggles. Tom Brady, a pissed off Tom Brady's my favorite Tom Brady for all the reasons, all the clips of him cussing out teammates on the sidelines. Love every minute of it. Give me the Packers minus one and a half on the road. A road favorite going into Tampa. So, you have Falcons plus four against the Minnesota Vikings, Dolphins minus nine and a half against the Jets, Packers minus one and a half against Tampa Bay, Tampa, Brady. And in college football this week, what do we have to say about college football? We know Nick Saban has COVID 19, and they played Georgia this week. That's become a great game to watch with Kirby Smart over there in Georgia. Georgia's got a quarterback named Stetson Bennett. If you don't know his story, look it up. He had a fat dip in a couple weeks ago after beating a team, I think during the game, in a football uniform. If there's anyone with a lip in during a football game, you have my respect. I mean, that's Janikowski status, and especially a quarterback. A quarterback that's like 5'10", barely 200 pounds, went to Georgia, was their scout team player of the year, transferred out to a J.C., And then comes back to Georgia wins the starting job this season. And Georgia hasn't lost a game yet. And now they play Alabama. Nick Saban apparently cannot be in communication with anyone on the sidelines come Saturday when they're taking on Georgia. And here's the thing. Nick Saban's going to be in communication one way or another. He's going to be texting someone. He's going to be in someone's ear. Whatever it takes, Nick Saban is going to be in communication on Saturday with someone on the sidelines. That's just facts. And I hope someone discovers it. I hope someone sees Nick Saban like at the bottom of the stadium or somewhere in the stands in disguise, maybe a Bobby Valentine mustache situation. Nick Saban, there's no way he's not going to talk to anyone on those sidelines during a football game against Georgia because that's a huge game. But I do think if if that game's close, both of those teams, whoever wins or loses, will still have a legitimate shot to be in the playoffs. They will get a legitimate shot to be in top four playoffs because the SEC is the SEC and Georgia and Alabama have been competitive for, well, Georgia, not so long, but Alabama's competitive every goddamn year. But there you have it. Another episode of the 10 After 7 podcast with your host, Michael Cody Stevenson. Have a wonderful weekend. Drink some beer. Hopefully the Dodgers have a Game 7 on Sunday against the Atlanta Braves. You can follow me on Twitter at 10After7 or on the Instagram at 10 underscore after underscore 7. I'm out. Woo! Go Dodgers.